You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Bram Stoker author of the famous Dracula novel once said, There are bad dreams for those who sleep unwisely. Implying that in some way there are risks, unknowns, and uncontrollable circumstances as we slip into various states of which some people have called the cousin of death. When it comes to understanding the human brain, things become a bit murky. As little is understood about the deeper mysteries of the mind, and indeed sleep itself. But what if someone told you that there was no need for sleep? Or perhaps even, that you could live two lives? Existing in a constant state of wakefulness. Strange as it may seem, Ideas like these have been the source of inspiration for both dedicated and strange scientific and military research on sleep over the centuries, as well as gut-wrenching stories and urban legends popping up from the woodwork as ideas on sleep deprivation and drug experiments became more mainstream. Tonight on Into the Portal, we delve into the bizarre world of sleep experiments and sleep deprivation discussing both pop culture, fact, and fable, capabilities of the human mind, and ultimately, what happens when we don't go to sleep. Hello, and welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And welcome back to a fresh episode. Uh, it's kind of weird. We're getting down to the end of the summer here. It went by really fast. <laughs> despite how summer. weird, yeah, no kidding. Like, despite how bizarre it's all been, it kind of flew by. And man, oh man, I don't even know how many episodes we ended up doing this summer. But I hope you guys have been enjoying everything. Well, not only that, but like the amount of times, like you you already said, yeah, it's like strange times and I'm not even sure how many times we've said to each other, I think we're living in a simulation. Oh my God. Because I feel like there's a lot of weird things that have been going on. I don't know if you guys out there listening have had a strange summer. Let us know though, because I feel like things have been, I don't even know, stirred up or something. And it's (laughs) like people being kind of like, you know, sequestered and spending more time in in their homes and stuff because of, you know, the quarantine and everything that's, Mm. that's going on. I think people are like perceiving other things around them and like, you know what I mean? Like just noticing things that we maybe were too distracted to notice before. And yeah, you you and I have noticed a few. We're like, is this a glitch in the matrix, man? It is bizarre. Like the amount of times where things just 
coincidentally we'll be mentioning something and then all of a sudden it's right in our face yeah. like spit like the universe just spits it back at us like, and it's not just know. siri listening to us on our iphones either like it's more than that so you know what i mean because we've said that too we're like oh, who's listening oh Somebody's siri listening. yeah she's always listening <laughs> <laughs> so hey maybe that's a uh, another uh, upcoming episode when we're going to look into some simulation <laughs> yeah. and just talk about our lives but before we uh, get into this week's episode we have a tiny bit of housekeeping first and foremost we wanted to say a massive thank you to a new patron we have Jana s she's joined us as an ancient explorer over on on our patreon page so we're just like really happy to have her join the crew Mm -hmm. Uh, we actually have a new cryptozoology episode in the works as well so for all of our patrons stay tuned for that really excited to talk about that one if you haven't checked us out on patreon the link is below so you guys can go hit us up and uh, see what we have to offer on there Mm -hmm. also we have a brand new sticker pack available from uh, Be Strange. So this is on our website, straightupstrange.com, the sticker pack of high strangeness. So it's featuring a lot of the same ones that we had in our sticker contest recently. So if you guys participated in that, make sure to go check it out. So at StrangePods on Instagram, you can see the sticker pack and then straightupstrange.com and on our Etsy shop mm-hmm. as well. It's the summer of strangeness and it is the exact same sticker pack. So when we were doing the contest, all the ones you saw there are the ones included in this little fun thing. So if you guys want to support some indie creators and uh, get some stickers, we actually have free shipping going on right now on all stickers. So either yeah. you get the pack or you get your favorite individual or whatever. Yeah. Totally. Now's the time to act. <laughs> Hell yeah. And it helps support the network. So yeah, go check that out. And then last but not least, we just wanted to say a big thank you to Ace over at Nothing Ever Happens in Canada podcast. She sent us some awesome stickers and stuff. So thank you so much, Ace. So wicked. They're like holographics oh, and all sorts of fun stuff. Like she does such a good job. She really does. So thank you so much for that. And then also our good friend Doodle Kev sent us a sweet pack as well. So thank you uh, to Kev and Tiffany. He uh, he does amazing artwork. So like if you guys haven't checked him out, uh, go check him out at Doodle Kev on Instagram or you can find him on our website as well. And Nothing Ever Happens in Canada podcast you can find everywhere you get your podcasts. So make sure to go check out those guys. Doodle Kev is open for commissions as well. So make sure to see what he's up to and uh, mm-hmm. hit him up for some of that. Okay, let's get into this. So today we're discussing the Nikolaev gas experiment legend and sleep deprivation myths. This was also known as the Russian sleep deprivation experiment, the Nikolaev gas experiment. The entire premise of this legend essentially follows that back in the 1940s. The Soviets were said to have conducted different sleep deprivation experiments on prisoners of war, and these had some pretty horrifying results. So... Whether you believe this or not, the interest really from this story lies in the idea of what sleep deprivation can truly do, and what experiments like this might actually result in in the real world. So like, what is the ultimate purpose of an experiment like this? Testing the limits of human capability, but also testing the limits of maybe the liminal space between sleep and death, and we're getting into some sort of interesting themes here on today's episode. So Mm -hmm. let's get into the Russian sleep experiment story. Okay. So this originated from a 2010 source on creepypasta.fandom.com. And this was called the Russian sleep experiment. The story begins with the proposal of a 30-day trial of sleep deprivation which was to test the efficacy of this Nikolaev gas, a stimulant uh, that's to help keep the human brain awake. Mm -hmm. Five subjects are chosen from thousands of political prisoners that were rounded up after World War II, all of which are promised freedom falsely if they submit to this 30-day experiment. Right. All begins somewhat normally, 
The five subjects were enclosed in a test chamber with a few things like books, a little cot, not to sleep on, mind you, just to relax on, I suppose. Right. And the actual chamber was outfitted with uh, little portholes for viewing and then microphones. Right. Pre-cameras, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Pre-television era here in the 1940s. All began somewhat normally. You know, these were political prisoners. They were used to captivity. So being in these conditions weren't new to them, Mm. you could say. However, by day four, they began exhibiting darker themes in conversations and exhibiting what you would call the beginnings of paranoia. They also started to converse about the things that had brought them to this place. So the reasons of which, and they started to get really dark psychologically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The darkness was setting in. Yeah. Reminds yeah. Me of the Franklin expedition or something. Literally and metaphorically. Mm. Mm-hmm. So by day five, paranoia becomes evident. Subjects begin to turn on one another using the microphones and portholes to communicate by whispering to their handlers. This continues for four days until day nine, the screaming begins. One subject began screaming for hours until he tore his own vocal cords, thus rendering him silent. All the rest of the subjects ignore him. Hmm. Hmm. Seemingly unaffected, the second subject began screaming. Again, the other subjects ignore this behavior. Two others began ripping books apart and covering up the portholes with their pages, pages smeared with their own feces. Then the screaming stopped. There was nothing from the chamber. The experimenters were quite confused by the silence, and they couldn't see anything. So they were completely in the dark. Hmm. By day 12, the silence has been continuous. The oxygen uptake is noticeably increased by the five subjects, the equivalent of strenuous exercise, which was even more confusing. By day 14, they decide to open up the chamber. And this is what they said. We are opening the chamber to test the microphones. Step away from the door and lie flat on the floor, or you will be shot. Compliance will earn one of you your immediate freedom. And then to their surprise, they heard a single phrase respond. We no longer want to be freed. Hmm. Ominous. Yeah. So by this point, everyone is confused. Day 15, the chamber is opened. Four of the five subjects are still technically alive. Yeah. At this point, if you have any young ones in the room, I would, or sensitive ears, or you don't want to hear anything extremely violent or grotesque, I would just skip forward about two minutes. Yeah. All right. So the food rations past day five remained untouched. The subjects had engaged in various acts of mutilation. Chunks of the one dead subject are stuffed into the drain and the water has been pooling. So they're in a disgusting, wet state of affairs here. The remaining subjects have similarly taken chunks of flesh 
off of themselves, removed by their own fingers, as was evident by the injuries on the tips. Self-inflicted. Oh my god. The abdominal organs were taken from the cavities and strewn about the floor, but were supposedly in still working order. (laughs) All of the subjects put up a fierce fight when their removal was attempted. Despite their injuries, they were still able to maim and even kill one of the soldiers that was tasked with removing them. All of them continuously begged and screamed for the gas to be turned back on. (laughs) It gets even darker here. When surgery was attempted, it was revealed that the subjects were immune to the anesthetic given. When more was applied, the subject actually died upon going under. So as soon as he fell asleep, his heart stopped. Crazy. The others were given surgery without anesthetic which they all seemingly enjoyed. (laughs) Mm. Eventually, the decision was made by the commander to push the boundaries and complete the experiment. All ended in disaster. Everyone dead. Not a single soul surviving. Mm, Right. Mm, Classic Russian military shootout. And in the very end, the last words of the lips of the remaining subject was, it was so close. (laughs) Mm, and everyone dies spooky stuff okay so this story touches on a lot of different things like we need to break down the crazy here let's just pause here and absorb for a second yes and if anyone is really keen on hearing the full brutal version uh we will have that link posted so definitely you can check it out on the original creepypasta website yeah and get your fill because i don't really want to get into all of the details because it's quite brutal it is extremely gruesome and graphic paragraphs and paragraphs of it too so i'm like all right i mean even for creepypasta it's definitely at the the upper echelon of uh, of morbid i would say yes yeah because it just goes on you're like okay like you've described one two three oh right there's the other two you got to describe everything for gotta as get well gotta get them oh, in there Lord. as well probably my favorite aspect of this story though is the idea that because the experiment wasn't complete quote unquote uh they had to continue so that right. that to me <laughs> yeah. is just a classic russian sort of move where it's like you know, it's kind of like this top-down order that needs to be fulfilled. Yeah. And someone's going to pay for it. Exactly. (laughs) At any cost. (laughs) Well, Um, yeah, I mean, totally just obviously crazy. Crazy story. We know that this is a fictional piece, obviously, like we said off the top, posted to Creepypasta around 2010. And at this time, you know, people really did, even though it was posted to Creepypasta, they took it quite literally. They thought... There was, you know, people ran ran with it yes. on the internet, right? Maybe there... this is leaked from a secret facility. Mm-hmm. Maybe this was, uh, you know, half the story's true and there was some sort of Russian operative, yeah. former KGB. How, maybe this got out somehow. Yeah, the, the nugget of truth that kind of, <laughs> yeah, totally. Because Russia, you think Russia and you think very secretive, you think all sorts of crazy stuff moralist sort of scientific experimentation which we have some real examples of that we'll get into in this episode totally totally so there is the interest on that side of it although we do know that this is there there is an evidence to prove it it is a fictional story Mm -hmm. but what really gets spooky and scary for me and like for us here at into the portal is when we ask ourselves whether the fiction here is in any way possible or plausible, at least in some regard. What would happen if people were forcibly deprived for sleep for that long with some sort of experimental, 
gases or mm-hmm. things being injected into them, would they potentially go insane? Not to the same degree necessarily, but would they maybe lose their minds? Would they access different areas of the human brain through this process would, potentially? Yeah, would there be some sort of adaption or evolution going on or devolution, I guess, if you want to think about it in linear terms? Absolutely. So let's let's continue on here. Let's just break down the urban legend even more because we know it's we know the Russian sleep experiment is fiction, but it's interesting because, you know, however, there is some interest in whether or not the story was rooted in some kind of truth. And this is mm-hmm. what is still perpetuated online, or at least there might be some sort of source of inspiration for the story. Mm-hmm. And there are people who will insist that the story is true, you know, secret government lab. And we do have a, a reference to a government lab that maybe was the impetus for the story. Mm-hmm. But in so many ways, these creepy pastas are a lot like, you know, those classic grocery store checkout, like National Enquirer magazines and newspapers Mm -hmm. you know they're crazy stories but there have been in the past some cases linked to actual reports that you would find in like other publications most notably you know like ufo sightings is one of the main examples that pops into my mind but it reminded me of fox Mulder, classic just because this has come up on the on x files in in episodes before i know it's fiction as well you guys Mm -hmm. don't don't uh, start tweeting at me like crazy or fox (laughs) is a real person but this idea that there may be some nuggets of truth hidden amongst the woodwork of these sort of uh very very crazy pop culture you know alien ufo monster interdimensional craziness that we see on creepypastas and on the front pages of these sort of wild magazines at the grocery store checkout for example we covered a, a, an episode on our Patreon on gateways to hell, hell holes found around the world. Right. And this just reminded me of the the super deep borehole in Siberia, where it's a site of another urban legend, very much like the one you just recounted, where mm-hmm. there's the screams of the damned that were recorded when they lowered down a device, mm-hmm. you know, to great depths within the borehole. And I think there was even a winged demon that appeared uh, in, in the gas that was emitted from the hole as well. It, yeah. like, it, it was in flames and stuff like that. And the exactly. researchers saw this and they freaked out and they had to abandon the site. And that was an element that was added later on. Exactly. We, we uncovered, yeah. You know, and this was, you know, floated online. It ended up being a pretty big story. Like it was covered on coast to coast. The actual audio was then leaked later on. It ends up being, you know, an unconfirmed urban legend. Yet the borehole in and of itself does indeed exist and is the site of some potentially, you know, like, you know, not clandestine things going on, but definitely like not all the information is there. Not all the information. And actually, you know, you can make another parallel to this fictional story that we just mentioned because it's another attempt to go beyond the limits of what's yeah. been done before. Exactly. So, it, yeah, in that sense, it's like, it, obviously, this is like a geologic version versus like manipulating the human brain to extend it or whatever. You know what I mean? But yeah. that's, it's very interesting. And again, Russian connection. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and to continue on that theme, I kind of pulled up a few examples of stories that very much like the creepypasta we referenced. If you saw these stories there, you would no doubt believe they were fiction. So the first example I wanted to pull up, just to kind of give some more context to all of this, were the Soviet-human-ape hybrid experiments that sort of began in the late teens, early 20s. There was this one famous zoologist, uh, Ilya Ivanov, who was an expert on artificial insemination. He was supposedly very much, I mean, quote-unquote, in a bunch of different articles, hell-bent on actually coming up with this half-human, half-ape hybrid 
the idea, I think, was to try to create a super soldier. Um, yeah. But I think for him as a researcher, it was more just to see if he could do it. From Stalin's <laughs> side of it and the government side of it, there was more of a purpose. He, he's almost uh, like a Dr. Moreau of the real world. Very much so. Mm-hmm. And he was adamant about this in public. He told uh, zoologists a decade earlier uh, in, in the country that this was possible. He was going to go to Africa, collect species, bring them back, and attempt this. He was actually financed by the Bolshe- Bolshevik excuse me, government, goes off, catches some chimpanzees, orangutans, he artificially inseminates a human woman, of course, he fails, his attempts do not work, he ends up being exiled after a series of very, very gruesome experiments involving both human women and uh, chimpanzees and various primates. That's crazy. This is the type of thing, like, if you didn't know this happened, or that this was a thing, and you saw humanzees on the cover of one of those magazines in the checkout line, it is exactly like the Nikolaev gas experiment, right? Oh, totally. You could even, like, yeah, I'm honestly, if you saw that in a magazine, I'd be like, oh, yeah, what is this, a new Fiji mermaid kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. Or even, yeah, like, oh, there's so many ways you could go about that. That's insane, though. Okay, wait, so he was taking human women and implanting them with chimpanzee sperm i'm believing that i as far as i know i think it went both ways oh really? i think he was trying both ways just to see if he could get anything <laughs> and it didn't work out i mean uh, that deserves it that's an episode in and of itself oh totally uh, that guy and then also this other dude um i thought it was the same guy initially but he's actually different his name's vladimir demikov okay. and he was the guy that was doing the uh he was transplanting dogs' heads onto different dogs. Yeah. So lots of crazy stuff. Like, that's real-life vivisection right there. Do- Island of Dr. Moreau, mm-hmm. man. That is absolutely that. And that actually happened. There are photographs. There is evidence. That this is all documented. Yeah. Literally two dogs together. Like, one was like a, was like a little shih tzu or something, and he was, like, on the shoulder of another hound. Yeah, you guys can Google the, the images. It is kind of it disturbing. It is so brutal. Like, I am just... I'm horrified by all of it. Oh, well, it gets even worse from there. I mean, obviously, if we're dog people, so maybe it doesn't. But technically (laughs) speaking, I think for most it would. I pulled up this other example that I thought was interesting because it kind of ties into the urban legend of the Nikolaev gas experiment. And it is this very much a clandestine facility known known as Lab X or number two facility there's a few different names for institute it number institute two. number two or nii dash two this was a lab in which poisons gases and various different things were created to use against political enemies of the state hmm. so it was a factor a poison factory for the kremlin which so, is a phrase that i thought was really fun in this that is pretty cool in this article i pulled up here Established in 1921, this was Vladimir Lenin. I mean, obviously that guy had a lot of political enemies that he would uh, be happy to get rid of mm-hmm. as quickly and as silently as possible. And that was the purpose of this facility. It was to come up with poisons and different things that were like undetectable. That was kind of the main thing. In 1939, it was renamed Laboratory One. And there was this guy who ended up running it, Grigory Maranovsky. He was a biochemist pretty infamous uh, guy in Russian history. He was a poison developer. He wrote this doctoral thesis on the effects of sort of different types of gases that had been used from World War I up until his research, particularly mustard gas, the effects on human skin. But because of this thesis, he was asked to develop some more kind of, uh, let's just call them insidious things. Mm. He was tasked with coming up with different types of lethal poisons that could be administered completely without detection, tasteless, colorless, odorless. 
to be, you know, used against anyone who they wanted to eliminate. I feel like that was just the way to go about it back in that era. Oh, yeah. Like, I feel like, well, wasn't Hitler, like, every single meal he had, someone tasted for him? Yep. Like, a lot of political leaders did that. I think I want still to this day. I mean, we ha- we've we seen some political assassinations or attempts using poison relatively recently, mm-hmm. potentially linked to this lab, actually, which is quite Ooh, interesting. That's so cool. So, so they cool, were... So finding. <laughs> I know. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> we know that they were experimenting with, you know, like I said, mustard gas, cyanide, curare, if that's how you pronounce that, digitoxins, ricin. Uh, ricin. Ricin is actually so common. You see that on forensic files all the time where people yeah. like mail a letter to someone with ricin on it and then right. it's like, yeah. Nasty stuff. Mm-hmm. And these are the only substances that we can like name, like by name that we can list here because we don't know the substances that Marinovsky was experimenting with that were just that, experimental substances, different mm. concoctions and potions, if you will. The most common way in which he conducted these tests was essentially to inject people. They took prisoners from the gulags, political prisoners and military, you know, prisoners of war, and under the guise of essentially a routine medical checkup or injecting them with something to essentially keep them healthy so they could keep working in the gulags, he was really testing his poisons and other insidious substances we don't know if gas was used in these experiments i couldn't find that and that would have been the real connection as as an idea for the story but very much so he was i mean putting people in chambers Mm -hmm. and definitely injecting them and seeing what would happen type stuff yeah that's so interesting because even if they weren't using gases per se, like, you know, gas was quite commonly used. Obviously, the Nazis were employing that in the chambers where in like, you know, in their concentration camps and yeah. whatever else. And a lot of those same methods were employed in the post-war years, right, with these gulag type things, with these prisoner camps and things of that nature. Totally. And a lot of stuff was probably never like, you know, it's all under wraps for yeah. a large degree. And not a lot of this stuff leaks. No, Totally. And, and if it does leak, it would like in my mind, I mean, this guy, he's a, he's a chemist. He's obviously been tasked with this, this poison creation thing. It would make sense to me that it wouldn't just be, Hey, make some poisons for assassinating our political enemies, but you're really good at this. We've got a few other projects on the go as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe test out this, maybe look into this. And when we read that story off the top, or when you gave that story off the top, the gas experiment, urban legend, it just screams amphetamines to me. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and that's what you said. Like it was some sort of an amphetamine keeping them a awake. Stimulant. A stimulant, mm-hmm. uh, which we know was tested by uh, all governments all over the world to create a super soldier, essentially. Mm-hmm. Keep people awake for forever. And we've got a pop culture fun reference in a second here about that. But... A lot of people were playing with all these themes, trying to extend human capabilities and using, yeah, exactly. Like they're, they're using these and testing these on prisoners, but the ultimate uses is obviously as biochemical weapons in warfare and in espionage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether it's within your own government or outside in, in like, you know, the international sphere. Yeah. And I mean, as far as espionage goes, great segue there. So thank you, Amber, because... <laughs> Foreign governments weren't exactly aware of this until relatively recently as far as this poison lab goes. Mm -hmm. Decades would go by before the West knew about the secret facility. There was this one particular guy. I pulled this from an article in The Guardian. His name was Yuri Schwetz. What a name, hey? (laughs) Former KGB. Uh, who actually ended up living in the U.S., but he claimed to have visited this top secret Lab X sometime in the 80s. 
and he was tasked with picking up a quote-unquote truth-telling drug to use on a captured American source at the time. Mm. The the operations were basically the KGB had to approve anything coming out of that facility. So it like even like I read this thing, I didn't include it here, but there was even like um, Gorbachev, uh, like the, the prime minister, president, whatever. He didn't even have access. Like he was like, oh, I want to know about this. And the KGB was like, nah, sorry. Can't really? tell you. How weird is that, right? I think Putin would, I mean, Putin's former KGB. But yeah, true. He'd uh, be able to find out maybe uh, not as much of a pushover as uh, Gorbachev was, perhaps. It's like you don't, even the people in positions of power aren't privileged enough to know. Right. It's like, unless you really need to know, because maybe one day they're going to use it on you. <laughs> exactly, right? How crazy is that? Yeah. So yeah, the KGB had to approve any use. And this guy, Schwetz, he mentioned that in this laboratory, they not only were concocting poisons, but also various different experimental narcotics and psychotropic substances. That kind of ties into the urban legend, right? So what he picked up was a vial of what he called SP-117, whatever the heck that is. But he also noted that the arsenal, quote unquote, of all these other substances at this lab had to be at least another 116 potions, as he states. I just thought that was very interesting phrasing. Implying that... There could be some very, very, very strange unknown substances happening. Chemical in here. that reminds me of like uh, alchemy or something like very, that. Oh yes. I'm also like simultaneously reminded of like every single like uh, 007 movie, <laughs> like you yeah. know where they're using different serums, different liquids. Like what was that one latest one? Is it the latest James Bond? Maybe not anymore. The one that starts where he's in New Mexico. In there was one Mexico City. Yeah. And then by the end of it, he ends up in that like in the middle of the desert somewhere. I can't even remember. What and they like use that like serum on him or yeah, something. Yeah, which one was that with Daniel Craig? Quantum of Solace, I think it was, where there's using it. It's the guy from Inglorious Bastards, right? Just the bad guy. Yeah. Did, yeah. Anyway. I don't know. Uh, yeah. That's so crazy though. Potions. It's very, it's got it's, that uh, Hollywood vibe to it, it when you hear that word for sure. A hundred percent. It also brings to mind like Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned that before we started recording. Totally. Maybe a little bit of a, of a less sort of, um, whimsical looking potion cabinet mm-hmm. uh, than than Hogwarts castle but yeah i it's so interesting thinking about yeah the potential substances that could be found here the idea of using psychotropic substances for different things like again that just reminds me of like the cia and uh ak47 was that it or no, that's MK just Ultra. A, MK Ultra. <laughs> AK-47. I know AK forty seven is a strain of weed. <laughs> yeah, we're th- yeah, you're totally MK and AK. You're just MK thinking cannabis Ultra. strains. <laughs> all hilarious. those experiments. Yeah. So the idea that there's all kinds of things, and if they are experimenting with amphetamines, that could produce like you know, if you think of a meth addict, and it's really sad, but thinking about some of the habits and behaviors that result from that type of drug use, and and the things that it does to your brain, as far as like you know, you're on a trip for what like anywhere from 18 to 36 hours sometimes and then on top of that like the idea that you could be picking at your own flesh and seeing things that aren't there hallucinations these are all things that come from sleep deprivation when you when you combine sleep deprivation with chemical substances like what the heck are you in for you don't really know and that's even like what is it salvia that's not anything to sleep deprivation but again produces very active uh, hallucinations and things of that nature for like an extremely short period of time yeah so it makes you wonder if there's any inkling of truth to those five subjects and their fates in that chamber at the top of the story here with our creepypasta Mm -hmm. like what were they seeing what were they experiencing and they were clearly addicted to the gas right because they were just 
that's that's another thing too. Points to and chemical a very, addiction, yeah, amphetamine of some kind. Yeah. So there's a whole slew of different elements that are coming into play here, and of course, when we found out about this this experiment or whatever, creepy pasta, whatever you want to call it. We're instantly reminded of X-Files, one of our favorite episodes ever. Yes. From season two. What is it? Episode four? Yep. Uh, Sleepless. So this takes it to another extreme. So in this case, we're not talking 14 days. We're talking 24 years. 24 years of being awake. That is... Just let that sink in, everyone. If you haven't actually watched this this episode, and again, it's 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 fiction, like the one we we mentioned off the top. But it's just so much. It just the it's just like the explosions in my head are just going off right now because of the 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 stark contrast between these two mm-hmm. thick pieces of fiction. Fourteen days, twenty four years. Twenty four years. That's a big difference. And in my head, yeah, all the explosions going off in my head right now are like, oh my god, because of all the like different points that we've brought up as far as what sleep deprivation actually does to your brain. Right. It doesn't do good things. Your brain cannot survive without sleep. Yeah. So this kind of brings it to the ultimate extreme, I would say, because in this episode, we get uh, a crew of men. It's essentially a Marine squadron that was stationed in the Vietnam War. Yes. And they were part of an experiment where they were given these drugs and given surgery to prevent them from ever sleeping again. Yeah. And so the premise is that they're being given two lives because they've got all this extra time. It's like taking the the Da Vinci and all that sort of concepts to the extreme, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, no, this is so crazy. So it picks up with what the death of a man hallucinating that he's in a fire and his brain essentially registers all of the physiological symptoms of the fire. Yeah. And when they find his body, it's as if he's been burned on the inside, but just has no, no physical outside external um, indications of it. Exactly. So it's like, yeah. So, so it's the one main member of this, um, of this Marine squadron, uh, Lieutenant Cole or, or Captain Cole or whatever his name was. He, uh, he has developed a little bit more of an ability compared to the others. So like there was a surgery that he states at the end of the episode, they removed a piece of his brain. And then in addition to drugs, that's what was keeping them going until they went AWOL. Hmm. And so obviously that implies that surgery didn't work. The drugs made them go insane, very much like the urban legend off the top. Yeah. Uh, some sort of an addiction slash just like mm-hmm. not in of of your right mind, it's, right? It's almost like they created a super soldier, but they weren't able to harness it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And again, like we mentioned that earlier, the whole idea of using amphetamines and stimulants was this to, the, to attempt to make a super soldier stay awake for two, three, four, five days at a time on the battlefield. You have night attacks. You have a massive advantage over your enemy. This is to the extreme, mm-hmm. never having to go to sleep. And 24 years. So, I mean, like we have a, a reference a little in a second here about like micro sleeping, but the, just the the notion of never laying down, closing your eyes, going into a REM state to actually dream is like hell on earth. And that, yeah. like, that is terrifying to me. Yeah, instead of living two lives, you're living no lives. And that's basically what they figured mm-hmm. out, right? There was just a walking, they were walking in a living in hell, a living hell. Yeah. Every so they day, can't 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. The, what, what's really interesting to me about this episode, though, is this idea of removing the brain, being awake for 24 years changing the physiology of the actual brain and giving this one particular character the ability to manipulate what is technically like dream states Mm -hmm. or 
hallucinations or things that are not physical in reality and manifesting it in physical reality like just by the fact of being awake for 24 years and like, not just manifesting in his brain manifesting it in others right like manifesting it's not really a, mm-hmm. a bullet coming out of a gun but the belief is so strong and the person sees that bullet mm-hmm. coming out of the gun entering them and then it becomes real or the, the death fire, is real yeah. the, the, or the, the fire death, yeah. he's got burn mm-hmm. marks on him or the stab stab wounds or whatever it is yeah because all right. these deaths are happening in the dream state so nothing physical is happening to them but yet they still die because they believe it so so profusely and there are a few different states that go in between they're like these liminal states in between waking and dreaming that i've actually pulled up here we'll get into in a second here just to help explain that yeah. i really enjoyed the part of this i thought it was fascinating of this episode because of the surgery aspect too yes so that's an added element and when we get into the science of sleep and the the physical science of it like your brain has mechanisms to cause you to go into what's called micro sleep so that's actually a natural protectant against death by not sleeping right Mm -hmm. and that other mammals actually don't have and it's really sad i was looking at some experiments from these puppies back in like the 1890s and how they were these poor little puppies they're a few weeks old kind of thing and they um, are deprived of sleep for about two to three days and by the third fourth fifth day they're all dead because of brain lesions so their brains they weren't able to actually cope with it and uh yeah they actually all ended up dying there were uh, experiments done on other dogs too that were fully matured and the same results happened in a little bit of a longer time period but yeah just shows you that other mammals out there don't have these same capabilities and with those capabilities with those safeguards like that's i think that like i'm glad you mentioned that again like at safeguard kind of as a way of thinking about it because like that would maybe give humans the ability to achieve things that we see in these pieces of fiction Mm -hmm. so like these were the questions that i kind of like that really came to my mind watching the x-files episode I mean, obviously the brain is still so unknown and so is sleep, but the questions of like, if the, if indeed the brain is physically manipulated, could such abilities we see in this episode be artificially created or Mm. are they already there in the brain and then activated? Well, that's just, yeah, exactly. Sorry, just to finish my point there was um, just the idea that we have these safeguards, but we don't have this in this episode, right? Because they've Uh, removed that aspect yanked it so right out. well in my mind that's what they must have done right because if you're thinking about the science of sleep but, but if they're awake for 24 years you'd think they'd be micro sleeping sort of or they'd be dead yeah i don't you know, know. I mean? like they're sleeping but for they like a second dead. at a time like they are they are living like zombies essentially right. but they yeah. seem to have a lot of their mental capacities around them though yeah like they have weird. jobs and stuff like the one guy's working at a diner Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the reason I thought for the surgery would be to maybe remove those safeguards. When I went back to the actual science of sleep and all that kind of thing, gotcha. But, but anyway, sorry, your questions. Yeah, maybe they did. Maybe that was sort of the idea there. But it's like it's so different. Like fourteen days, everyone goes completely insane. Twenty four years, and everything's fine. But we've got yeah. this notion of micro sleeping in in reality in re, in the real world. Right? Yeah, I love um, how we're just talking about this as if these are real. I know examples. because it is so because it is so funny. I mean, that's the reason they exist as pieces of fiction, right? Because the questions that they evoke are very real very questions real, about exactly. about sleep and about mm-hmm. reality and how we perceive reality. You know, like another question I thought was like, does never going to sleep in some way, like you kind of said, alter the physical state of the brain? Like either devolving, evolving, you used the word devolve a minute ago, Mm. to the point where there are sort of energies that maybe do indeed exist, 
but that aren't seen by normal people that can then be manipulated or at least perceived in a state of being awake for 24 Mm. freaking years. You know what I mean? Or even, yeah, kind of on that same line, like, can you begin to access areas of the brain by depriving yourself of sleep and going into a weird semi-lucid sort of state of being in between wakefulness and dreaming that allows you to access either higher like areas of energies and things going on almost like what we talked to steven uh, the ghost investigator from memphis and he was talking about how you can train yourself to be able to see and observe and notice these things and energies and be able to like like really like develop that yeah so i wonder if maybe it's almost like a cheat sheet deprive yourself of sleep and maybe you're getting there the fast way but you're not getting there in a controlled way or in a way that you maybe want to right Like that's the easiest way to see the thinning of the veil because your state of mind is more towards... It's more vulnerable. Yeah, and more towards just like a less... The less physical reality that we are in when we're awake. Exactly. You kind of loosen those boundaries. Right. That's kind of what I'm thinking. (laughs) There's some really cool stuff having to do with actual science of sleep and what happens to your brain when you don't have enough sleep. Yes. We'll get into. uh, And also some really, really interesting ancient examples uh, from, you know, like past times and and all sorts of sleep experiments and ideas of sleep and dreaming uh, from the ancients. Before we get into that, though, we'll just get a quick promo break. Is there something preventing you from achieving your goals or getting in the way of your happiness? Maybe it's time to try something different. Maybe it's time to try BetterHelp.com. BetterHelp.com is an online alternative to traditional counseling methods with multiple ways to connect with your specially matched therapist. BetterHelp.com is more affordable and convenient than traditional offline therapy, and you'll never have to wait in an uncomfortable waiting room, which is a huge benefit if you're anything like me. You can connect with a licensed professional in under 24 hours for professional help. BetterHelp.com has a wide range of counselors specialized in areas that may not be available to you locally. And best yet, you can send a message to your therapist anytime you need to and receive timely and thoughtful responses. This isn't self-help. This is professional counseling. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash portal. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash portal. And we're back. So make sure to go check out our sponsor, BetterHelp. The link is below in the show notes. Okay. Let's get into some sleep experiments in the ancient world. You know us here on Into the Portal, we always have to go back as far as humanly possible into uh, the history of the earth. <laughs> but I was I was interested by this because I was kind of like, you know, obviously man's evolved. You know, we are the type of humans we are now. There's been various different species of upright walking, you know, bipedal hominids. And I've wondered, how did they sleep? You know, like what was the – did they even perceive what sleep was? What the heck did a Neanderthal dream? You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Uh, But I pulled this up sometime between 70,000, 40,000 ish uh, BP. Neanderthal man sort of stopped this sort of primate pattern of sleeping in multiple rest cycles. So very much like, you know, wild animals do essentially like throughout a 24 hour period. And then we adopted what we essentially have today, a uh, monophasic sleep cycle, sleep at night, 
get up mm. in the morning, uh, do your hunting of uh, Pleistocene megafauna, and then uh, go back to sleep in the cave at night. That's interesting. Uh, so, okay, so the difference between polyphasic and monophasic. Right, yeah. That So they're pushing that timeline to 70 to 40,000. I actually saw some references to these same differences of sleep cycles um, where they were talking about how pre-industrial age, so pre-1800s, right. a lot of people actually did have a polyphasic sleep cycle. Yeah, just because of the nature of how you had to live, right? Yeah. To like keep yourself alive. Especially farmers. And, 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 pay, like and pay to feed mm-hmm. your family and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So that could involve going to bed a, up to six times a day. Right. Then that's like a sociological kind of implication for creating that sort of polyphasic sleep cycle, right? Exactly. Whereas like this and like people being able to sort of articulate why they're doing that or something, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? As opposed to just being like, a Neanderthal, 70,000, like, you oh, exactly. know what I mean? Exactly. And you kind of just do what feels right. <laughs> yeah, you just, oh, it just feels good. <laughs> but then obviously they were making the the analogy between industrialization and having to like um, regiment people's cycles because obviously there was like the eight day or eight hour work day kind of thing and all that kind sure. of like regimentation of society. Yeah. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. So many different like evolutions of this, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I, I thought this was cool too. Just the idea of really trying to control sleep. And the notion mm. of crossing over, like a lot of things we've mentioned already, like accessing different worlds and realities, the afterlife, things like that. Uh, civilizations in ancient Mesopotamia, India, you know, the ancient Egyptians and the ancient Chinese, they use various different sort of potions and remedies, uh, including things like divination, bloodletting, various different medicinal plants in order to regulate sleep and try to control their dreams. Whether or not sleep deprivation was a big part of this is sort of like up for debate, but it was definitely a part of some sort of shamanistic rituals and stuff like that, staying up for a long time, hallucinating, uh, in addition to like taking something like whether it's magic mushroom type stuff or mm. whatever across different civilizations, right? I just thought this was really interesting. The idea of like trying to control your perception of reality or like your access points to like other places through sleep and them trying to like understand sleep in the ancient world. Mm -hmm. Uh, The idea of like in ancient Egypt, they were really into lucid dreaming. So this idea of like the ba, the ka and the aka, like the three stages of the soul, the ba as the soul uh, was often seen as like out of the body. So we can see like hieroglyphic depictions of almost like a sleeping body, uh, a figure of a human and then like a bird-like figure with a human body and the head of a bird hovering over top of it. This sort of like mm. weird representing the sleep state and sort of like accessing the other, another world. Oh, okay. um, this sort of like multi-dimensional levels of the self and this being intimately tied to the idea of sleep and also sleeplessness. Like it's just sort of this hallucinogenic type state. I mean, for me, lucid dreaming is almost kind of tied to that because you're, you're so mm-hmm. aware of like what's happening. You're in control. Yeah, Yeah, and you can train yourself to do that. We actually had a blog on The Strange Times talking about lucid dreaming. Yeah, and All Things Dreams, if you guys haven't, go check out that show. Yeah, All Things Dreams, she's great. Um, That's interesting, though, like, yeah, the idea of the ancient Egyptians' uh, depictions of of sleep and and the underworld, too, right? And and the idea of they had these very, these two realms, right? They had the upper realm, the lower realm, and even you can see that in the cycles of the sun to the moon. Totally. It's just all, like, it's the under and up under and lower what am i trying to say (laughs) the upper and the lower (laughs) right yes (laughs) realms and when you go to sleep yeah you're kind of going closer to the underworld so i mean these they were definitely messing around i wonder if they had some sleep deprivation experiments throw you into a a chamber beneath one of the pyramids and see what happens type thing 
But I just thought that was kind of like interesting context for the history of sleep. But again, we always come back to this question as to what the hell is going to happen if you don't get enough sleep? Well, that, yeah, let's go back to our earlier question. Like, because you kind of posed it, like, does never going to sleep in some way alter the state of your brain? Of course it does. It it turns into mush. <laughs> but a more reasonable question, like at least not getting enough sleep. So if you're depriving yourself of sleep, whether it's you're not getting enough hours in a night or you're going several days, like say you're a doctor or a medical professional or, or a driver or all sorts of other things, um, the, the notion of not getting enough sleep does some serious damage. And I can't come up with any examples of like, oh, lack of sleep turned this person into a superhero or anything like that. Yeah, because a every, superhuman or whatever ex- you want to call it. But totally, it yeah. definitely can go bad bad (laughs) and so i actually went to the cdc and they had some information on even just like the occupational risks associated with sleep deprivation so this was actually uh, a naosha manual for nurses interesting Mm -hmm. Mm. and even before i dive into that like we already mentioned off the top and i don't i don't even like touching on this because it's so sad and i'm like once someone does it once why do people have to freaking repeat it and so there was multiple uh experiments done on puppies and dogs and this was like i said in the early 20th century and also in the late 19th century as well. It was just to prove whether or not uh, a mammal could die of sleep deprivation. And of course, they achieved this, like I said, in as little as a few days. And when they went to do the autopsies, all of the brains of these poor dogs exhibited lesions. And so they were basically just falling apart, their brains, and they weren't able to restore because that's what you need, right? You need to restore your brain. And as little as we know about sleep, we know that a lot of that stuff happens while we are in bed sleeping. Of course. And so this NAOSH manual gets into a few pretty obvious things. Like obviously your short-term memory and working memory declines significantly. Like your ability to store and recall information, even as simple as a phone number. Like, you know, something like that or your ability to make decisions and and have insight into your situation is reduced drastically while things like risk taking behaviors increases and erratic behaviors increase, which makes sense. Sure. Exactly. And regular things like filters around like, you know, when you're in public, they start to dissipate, you get angry. So aggression and irritability are all very common. And then once all of this starts to kind of like get to later stages, your brain actually starts to go into what's called micro sleeps. So this is very dangerous, actually, because a lot of people can experience this even on the day to day job. If you're if you're not getting enough sleep and you're doing something like driving or say you're a surgeon or you're doing anything at all this can be very serious. Right. So these micro sleeps can last as little as a few seconds. And the scary part is that the individual is actually unaware of the episodes. So you're not aware this is taking place. So this happens with a lot of night workers, like I said, healthcare workers, production workers. If you're operating machinery like that is terrifying to me to think that you could, uh, you could do something really stupid because either (laughs) your brain just doesn't, doesn't think that there's anything wrong like that it just doesn't go there and i had this article this is when we first started looking into the subject here and it was 10 examples of the effects of sleep deprivation and it was from just a, a blog site called no sleepless nights but the interesting part of this article was actually the 
comment at the bottom from a physician. And I had to pull this up here because it was just every time I think about doctors and healthcare, I'm always just like, there's so much going on that's wrong. Like why? Like healthcare, like it's so ironic. Like the way that these people live is just horrible. Like it's it's the habits and the, the shift work and all this stuff. But anyways, okay. So this doctor, he says here, quote, I'm a physician, and during my internship and residency training, it was common to be awake over 48 hours on a routine basis. Sometimes I recall being awake for over four days. In retrospect, I recall seeing orders on patients that I didn't recall writing, and seeing patients I performed procedures on and had zero memory of the entire event. I also recall falling asleep in traffic on the highway and the feeling of being asleep with my eyes open. Seven years later, after I completed my training, I found myself to be a completely different person. I was less happy. Many of the things that were important to me no longer were, for example, birthdays, holidays. I needed only three to four hours of sleep per night to be functional. But most importantly, I felt like my energy level reset it never got back to the original super high energy level I had before I began my training. It's been 25 years since I finished my training, and it still has not returned. Sleep deprivation is not without consequences, end quote. So yeah, that's that's a lot, like 25 <gasps> years after the fact and still kind of like feeling the effects yeah. of, of going. And, and that is spooky, you know, doing surgery. Oh my god. Imagine gosh. performing like brain surgery because it's a, <gasps> like something that would last a long time. Let me just say out of this all of this episode, all of the stuff we've talked about, this is the most frightening to me. Because it's real. Yeah. Because that is so real, like definitively real. And that you might have had it. What if you had a conversation with your doctor that your doctor does not recall later on? Right. And that's that's the least of it, having a conversation. What if they did something to you or suggested a, a prescription or whatever? And you can change people's lives instantly just by doing that one thing. That's not it's not risky behavior, but it's not rationalized behavior, right? right? And it's and to think how overworked the medical system is right now, and then you have essential surgeries going on that aren't mm-hmm. not linked to COVID, and then things like this are probably happening. So shout out to all of the the healthcare workers out there working the the forty eight hour shifts for sure kudos to you because that's crazy yeah Um, so anyways he touched on a few really really crazy well not crazy things but a few really important things here so the idea that again right the idea that his working memory short-term memory were eviscerated like he couldn't remember things the idea that he was falling asleep so he was doing these micro sleep type things in traffic and then uh Oh, and then the the idea that he was a completely different person, too, definitely speaks to a similar sort of like less extreme version of the X-Files episode, right? Where it's like, you just don't feel like yourself. Because they had like literally cut out a piece of them. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. And and I'm not me anymore. He says at the end is like, it's like, it's, they changed me. Like, it's not me or whatever is what he's screaming at the end of that episode there. And I feel like this person, this physician would definitely argue something similar where he says, I've never had my super high energy level. I'm, I'm not the same person I was back then. Right. And I think it is a result. The other freaky part about this was that he was saying he only needs uh, three to four hours of sleep a night to be functional. That was really interesting. I want to touch on that for a second because like after you read this little account here it makes me think that obviously he did see a permanent alt, alt like change in his brain 
right? Like now you only have to sleep three to four hours a day. Your energy levels are different throughout the process of this actually happening. Like during your training, when you're staying awake for like extended periods of time, probably drinking a shit ton of coffee, like stimulants, Mm -hmm. like normal stimulants, everyone, like I'm drinking coffee at 11 o'clock to try and stay awake my current job. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but it makes me wonder, it's like going back to the, the, the dog references a minute ago, where it was like the brain lesions after staying awake because they didn't have this ability to like micro sleep subconsciously. It makes me wonder, going back to the fictional stories, though, if there's chemicals that could be applied to prevent the negative effects of humans staying awake. So you're saying like the brain turns to mush, Mm. you know, this guy has these negative effects. But what I also see when I what I also like comes to mind when you read this story is that parts of his brain were sort of either shut down or changed where and others may have been freed up or activated or whatever, right? With the addition of potentially a, a, a chemical or a potion that we don't know of. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. So it's like he lost, you or know, he's changed. A but. chemical or potion, or what if it's something that's coming from within him that he's starting to produce because of these changes, right? Right. Maybe it's an adaption or evolution of some degree. Right. So but, in like the paranormal aspect of it, it would be maybe like someone who he like something along this lines could maybe end up like a, like a Stephen Williams, right? It's where it's like your brain's changed and now you are you can perceive things slightly differently. The chemical mm. composition's changed. Maybe you see shadow people more often oh, because yeah. your your physical oh. perspective is different. Shadow people, ooh, that's getting into a ooh, clinical ooh. psychological effect of sleep deprivation that I've pulled up here. There's two versions of this. Perfect segue. Um, yeah, totally. I, I honestly, just one other thing though before we get into that is just the idea that in this case, it doesn't seem as if he has any sort of benefits at all it seems as if it's all very negative and it's really sad to think that even he says right off the bat he's less happy and many of the things that were important to him no longer were so he's almost like a shell of his former self it's weird so that makes me think that perhaps in some ways he is his brain is able to run efficiently on the job but other than that it's like i shut down like you know maybe it's trained itself to just shut down after that so he's not able to really care and have those yeah. like extras in his life anymore which when you're, is really sad if you're a if you're a super soldier though that's like kind of the most ideal outcome yeah to not care about yeah. anything yeah exactly yeah interesting so i did want to pull up cuz like we've got some modern sleep experiments and sleep deprivation specifically experiments uh, before we get into those two very classic famous examples yeah that i wanted to touch on these uh, psychological effects because this bleeds into paranormal too because we do see a connection to things like you said shadow people and of even like you know just other hallucinations in general yeah and this first one that i pulled up here so basically these two are almost mirrors of each other these two states of being and they were what i referred to on the top of the episode these liminal sort of like in between the realms of awakefulness and resting the first one here occurs during the threshold consciousness from wakefulness to sleep. So you're awake and you're going to sleep. And it's called hypogogna. And sorry, I'm butchering that as Close per enough. usual. But hypogogna is something that can cause hallucinations. It is associated with sleep paralysis, lucid dreaming, and lucid thought. And I thought this was an interesting quote. It says here, it may involve a, quote, loosening of ego boundaries openness, sensitivity, internalization, subjectification of this physical and mental environment. But it just kind of, it's interesting because the loosening of ego boundaries, loosening 
of what is self and what is other. Right. So I thought that was really weird. And the idea that thoughts and ideas you might normally find ridiculous might be completely reasonable to you in this state of being. I like that. Isn't that funny? And it was so, because as soon as I read that, I was like, oh my God, that's like me, like almost every night when you're talking to me and you think I'm still awake, but I'm not awake. It happens literally every <laughs> single night. I'm, that's not even an exaggeration. Seven days a week. Seven days a week. The big one right now is when I'm like, hey, Amber, where's your sleep mask? And you think I'm asking you about your mask, like for going into the grocery store. And it's in my purse. And I'm like, no, it isn't. <laughs> well, that's perfectly reasonable. And then the other inverse of this is like the hypopompic state. So it is kind of a mirror or reverse of the hypogogenic state, so to speak, and can produce similar effects such as hallucinations, sleep paralysis. It's the result of the brain trying to come awake and make sense of the dream state essentially right okay so it's very confusing and frightening for a lot of people that experience it for the first time or multiple times even because you're just not really sure what's going on this is really funny both of these two states of being come into play with these two modern examples here uh the first one is peter tripp yes. that we'll talk to talk about but i just wanted to include here this idea that okay these people these two people so peter tripp and randy gardner are 20th century examples of the like documented effects of sleep deprivation in a public setting right and these two subjected themselves voluntarily to this there was no one asking them to do it there was no government research aim there was nothing going on like that yeah and it's interesting just to just to put in context here like from the 1930s onward the u.s government has defined sleep deprivation as a form of illegal torture (laughs) right yes yeah so it's one of their uh cia's like enhanced interrogation techniques so if you're subjecting yourself to this you're kind of just torturing yourself you're hanging out at guantanamo exactly you might as well hey yeah pretty much (laughs) yeah so the first one came about just uh on the cusp of the 60s yeah 1959 mm-hmm. peter peter tripp what a what a name uh, especially for a radio dj unless that was just his dj name trippy trip yeah peter tripp he was a from new york radio dj from new york area and basically what he did was he enclosed himself in a glass tube and the idea was to go on a continuous dj set to raise money for a local children's hospital and he actually managed to stay awake for a little over 200 hours like 201 hours or roughly 8.3 days in total which is pretty freaking impressive if you think mm-hmm. about that i mean i that's pretty insane in times square too eh? right in times square i mean we gotta go we gotta find some photos of this for sure <laughs> witnesses did observe many of the things that we've mentioned in this episode though like erratic behaviors rudeness swearing at people around him uh hallucinations was another thing that eventually did occur with peter where he thought that there were spiders in his shoes and That reminds me too, again, kind of like the idea of amphetamines and potentially that being the impetus for like picking your skin. You're hallucinating from drugs. Mm -hmm. If you're also hallucinating because of sleep deprivation and those two are kind of put together, maybe there would be the ability to really like do some, do some things that aren't. Yeah. And he was actually, he was given stimulants too. Right. Mm -hmm. Hmm. He, yeah, no, he was, yeah, I think he was also consulted by a couple psychologists who monitored the entire experiment. So these were the ones who gave them to him and yeah, his family after the fact, they had a few interesting things to say. I mean, they, he was, he was a changed man. He went on to essentially lose everything in his life, his job, his family, 
yeah, I mean, in all, he restarted his career over four times and got married and divorced four times, ended up dying at the age of 72 from a stroke, whether or not that had anything to do with potential lesions or from the sleeplessness of that event. Mm-hmm. Who's to say? But he was a changed person, very much like the doctor example you gave a second ago. Yeah, and he did complain of like uh, instability emotionally and then also uh, recurring headaches. And so these are all exactly, yeah, like you said, they're controversial in attributing to the actual experiment itself. But a lot of people will say that there are long-term effects of sleep deprivation that can definitely change who you are. Yes. And I think Trip would definitely be in that sort of realm he like he went on to have like yeah very he tried to continue on with the dj stuff apparently he got involved in some scandal and then he had to quit the whole game he tried stocks or something he tried getting into the investment game i think for a little bit too and then i don't know he just kind of like bounced all over and like i said like four marriages four divorces like clearly this guy like He's got some issues. He might, and and whether or not you can attribute that to the sleep experiment again is it's it's all subjective, right? But this was his life, and this is what happened to him. Randy Gardner saw what happened to Peter Tripp and wanted to do it better. So four years later, in 1963, at the age of 17, uh, Randy Gardner decided to do his own sleep deprivation experiment for a high school project. That's <laughs> so commitment. Was, I know, right? So it was originally it was going to be him, and then his two friends were monitoring him. Um, however, he actually ended up getting a Stanford researcher involved who heard about the experiments and wanted to go and monitor it. So just to verify the results and everything. And so his goal, Randy's goal was to go 11 days without sleeping. He managed to achieve that. He actually got a little bit past the 11 day mark and he is still to this day, the validated. So there's been a lot of people that will claim to be the longest without sleep kind of thing, but he's the only one that's been validated. Officially. I think it's like under the Guinness Book World Records kind of thing. Gardner, he wanted to not go nine days, not 10 days. He wanted to go 11 days. Like he was really determined. And he actually did have regular hospital checkups throughout the whole thing. Nothing was determined to be wrong with him, except that he was often confused and forgetful. And that hallucinations did happen regularly to him where he would imagine whole scenes happening in front of him that weren't there he's just making Crazy. it up as he went along and and it was kind of funny. i think it was day eight or nine he actually did win a ping pong game against one of his friends but it was so interesting though because he was monitored closely but he said like after like day four or five it started to get really hard to stay awake and he actually really did enjoy having the press around because it helped keep him awake yeah for sure and then also he's like you know the hardest hours were obviously during the darkness and he would actually go visit the prisons because they were the only thing that was open. <laughs> wow. Crazy. <laughs> I know. But anyway, I found this uh, interview from a podcast called Hidden Brain. And the interviewer went on. They had like a whole conversation and he has this whole episode on this. But I thought this was an interesting question he posed because he asked him. He was like, did you feel like your mental faculties were slipping? That it was harder to answer questions. It was harder to remember something or formulate a phrase or sentence. And then Gardner replied by saying, that happened pretty soon. That started maybe day four or five, and it just kept going downhill. I mean, it was crazy where you couldn't remember things. It was almost like early Alzheimer's brought on by lack of sleep. Hmm. Interesting. And Randy, after the 11 days, he ended up sleeping for, I think it was 13 to 14 hours. He said he felt totally fine. His family didn't observe anything erratic or anything. However, decades later, later on in life, he is an insomniac. So he kind of attributes it to his 
earlier success and he's like it's funny because it's followed him his entire life he's known as like he's like the sleeping superstar of the world kind of thing sure and he does kind of say like don't test the limits right he's almost like i'm a cautionary tale right here so just don't do it don't mess with sleep sleep's important (laughs) i wonder what grade you got on his assignment I would hope you got an A+. Plus. And I'm actually sort of second-guessing myself. Maybe it was Randy who who didn't get into the Guinness Book. It was one of these two guys. They didn't submit it in time. Oh, he... But, uh, oh, yeah. No, Randy definitely did was... Did he get in? Yeah. Okay, good. Mm-hmm, yeah. At least he got that then. At least. I hope he got an A on the subject, on the on the report as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, So clearly, I would say that both of these cases exhibit different aspects of the consequences of sleep deprivation. And like I said, these are subjective. You could attribute them to other things. Obviously, a lot of people in this world suffer from insomnia and they haven't tried to deprive themselves of sleep so i don't know if randy's just trying to like you know play it safe for everyone else and be like just don't tempt the fates don't do it yeah i mean after these two guys these two stories and and everything we've talked about so far it, it makes me wonder if there's a happy medium if there's if there's you know we've talked about the 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 notion of the brain changing in potentially a positive way all the Mm -hmm. evidence seems to be in an inherently negative way you're not really accessing you know it's not like the stephen williams thing where it's some sort of maybe like a cheat a cheating way to train your brain into being able to like perceive other energies or things around you differently or anything like that or even just be a more efficient human don't spend as much time sleeping do other things in your life you know what i mean and that's like the da vinci and like the tesla type thing and that's what i was kind of thinking like is that sort of the happy medium where they used yeah. that polyphasic sleep cycle mm-hmm. so they were basically only sleeping what was it like two three hours a day kind of thing yeah i think so it was about that uh you know in, in 20 minute naps or whatever it was um but I, that makes me wonder i mean these were two very brilliant individuals tesla in particular was very much interested in these sort of uh imperceptible unknown energies of the universe and chakras mm-hmm. and things like that and sort True. of things that are only was he trying to access them? was he tra- yeah was that was maybe not only his sleep cycle a part of just being more efficient and getting more research and, and his projects done but a means of actually tapping into those unseen energies well researchers will argue and they will agree with you to a certain degree there are people in the population i think it's about five percent of the population that can go with like six hours or less sleep in a 24-hour cycle or something but for the rest of society it's a lot of health costs it's a lot of financial burden it's a lot of social costs like a lot of things you can't really fully measure um that are definitely like negative cognitive performance things but there is something known as the Uberman sleep cycle. I went, I looked at mattressnerd.com just ah. to learn more about polyphasic sleep cycles and the Uberman cycle. And the Uberman is essentially, it's, it's interesting. It, it is this polyphasic. So it's, you can do it, you can have up to six different sleep times or bedtimes in a day. Interesting. And okay. Yeah. So it basically, this was interesting. So I was looking specifically at a section that's, trying to like show people how they can adapt this model into their lives. So it says here, the adaption process for the Uberman begins with 24 to 36 hours awake or until one enters into quote second wind, which is a rise of energy, at which point you begin to take a nap for every brack. So that's a basic rest and activity cycle, which occurs every 1.5 to 2 hours. Okay. So every about one and a half to two hours, you have a 20 minute nap. 
And then you begin with this sort of like adaption thing and for like about two to four days until you're getting these regular REM naps, which I don't even know how you actually like know you're getting these. <laughs> Unless you're like hooked up to equipment every time. How would you know? Yeah. Crazy. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You have to be in like a, a like, like an a, EKG or whatever it's well, called, exactly. like monitoring in a sleep your clinic. brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess most people go through what's known as a zombie mode when they're going through this adaption, excuse me, <clears throat> where basically their normal cognitive functions are extremely impaired. Right. Yes. Due to the sleep deprivation. So they try and like have, they have like different like regimens you can do to kind of help alleviate that or kind of like slip into it like a little bit more slowly. And in general, it takes about a month to kind of like get into the cycle. So this is essentially what Da Vinci and Tesla were doing. And Kramer Also makes me think of Kramer. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And I was just like big, bold question mark. I'm like, why would someone do this? Obviously it's to be able to gain more hours of yes. life. And this one guy, his name is Claudio Stampy. He had a book in 1992 called Why We Nap. And uh, basically he says like you can actually gain six extra productive hours a day. And he's, he's talking in reference to Tesla. Right. He said basically Tesla gained an extra like 20 years of his life. Wow. Yeah. By doing this sleep cycle. Mm-hmm. That's pretty wild. I mean, for someone with such a unique mind, that's pretty special because it's like... Yeah. If you're able to do something efficient with it. Right. Then. And then again, might like I keep, I keep trying to hammer home this whole episode, maybe getting something more out of that too. Not just the extra time. But like may, maybe yeah. you actually are able to see an equation differently. You're able to perceive something differently. Your brain yeah. isn't the same as someone who is just sleeping for eight hours and getting up and doing their regular thing. But you're not mm-hmm. getting to the state where it's turning to mush, having these overt negative effects necessarily. Uh, yeah. You know, it's funny. I think about it more. And like when you think about the basic rest and activity cycles in reference to that, like you could definitely be way more productive if you're like, okay, hey, you go through one of these cycles. Essentially what this is, it's, okay, so a basic rest activity cycle, like I said, is anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours long. And the first half of that is characterized by extreme activity in the brain and high energy. And then it slips into like, it's like a wave, right? So you have the upper end right. of the wave and then the lower end of the wave. Yeah. And in the lower end of the wave, you're you're actually restoring um, basically, what is it? The potassium and... Oh, yeah. So sodium like, and potassium. Right. So those are the two ions that we use in our brains to communicate electrical signals. So when those deplete, that's when we need to go into that slow state. And when we sleep, people propose that obviously this sort of restoration is happening too. So I'm thinking like maybe you would be way more active, like your brain would be way more active if, say, you're going through these every like two to three hours. Like, Right. Man, it's like when you get up in the morning... And you're like, oh, my brain's on fire right now. I've got X, Y, and Z that I want to do today. And I'm going to write everything down. And I feel like I have so much energy. And then by like 11 in the morning, you're like, yeah, I'm done. done. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah. And, and then me, I always think like, oh, if I take a nap, I'm just going to be tired for Even the rest more of the tired. day. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I, I don't think using cannabis would help with this 20-minute sleep cycle thing. Uh, like, you know what I mean? Like when I was like, like the guy who is an insomniac after the 11 day thing. That was the first thing I thought. I was like, man, how are you, how, like, how is anyone in this day and age an insomniac with like everything that's available? <laughs> but 
I get it. I mean, I've never stayed awake for 11 days, so I wouldn't really, I, I can't say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I could do either one of these ends of the spectrum. I couldn't no. do the 20-minute nap cycle thing, and I definitely couldn't stay awake for, I mean, I'm, I've probably done a day and a half of like travel where I'm awake, and that's about it. <laughs> that's probably the max of it, I'd say. And then you're starting to hit that second win where you're like, I'm so tired that I'm not tired anymore. Yeah. And that's kind of what they're talking about when you start to go into the Uberman cycle. You need to hit that first. To me, it's almost like it reminds me of a sleep version of that crazy diet that everyone's into. What's Keto. That? The freaking keto, man. <laughs> that reminds me of that where it's like, yeah, you're just going to extremes. I say moderation. Get your eight hours a day and <laughs> call it a day. Oh, man. There was. It's so funny you say that, though, because obviously, wouldn't this be a great reality TV show? Well, it's already Hell been done. Yeah. Already been done. In 2004, there was BBC. They did a show called Shattered, which I'm not sure why they would call it Shattered because there's no glass or anything involved. But hmm. it was like a contest format where contestants were pitted against each other to see who could stay awake the longest and then they win a cash prize at the end it didn't really make for great tv though and it was like almost just like too weird and it got a lot of negative reviews and things and yeah there was a lot of like a lot of the contestants weren't really expecting what happened to them even though none of them actually suffered well they attest to uh, none of them suffered from long-term effects right and it was i think it was seven or eight days Seven days. Yeah, it was seven days. They were challenged, um, but it was brutal, right? Because they do challenges where it's like, you have to go and, and lay with a comfy, big, oversized teddy bear and, and watch the paint dry for two hours at 3 a.m. and not fall asleep. Oh, my God. <laughs> so it's just torture. That is legitimately torture. <laughs> That's the same as what they, you just said, the CIA. It's illegal. Mm-hmm. Torture. Yeah. And then the very last thing they did at the end of the seven days was I think there was three remaining contestants and they made them go for like a lay down. So they turned off the lights and they had them, they had cameras on them so they could see, but they weren't able to cover their face or eyes or anything. And if they closed their eyes for more than 10 seconds, they were eliminated. Hmm. But yeah, so they had that. And then at the very end, the winner started to like make these really weird erratic head movements and they weren't sure what was going on. And the people were kind of freaked out, like the producers and stuff. Right. But she was actually not like doing that involuntarily. She was doing it to signal to the bathroom. She had to go to the bathroom really bad, but she wasn't allowed to leave the bed. Right. And if she said anything, if she talked, if she did anything, she would be eliminated. So she was trying to like gesture to them to the bathroom, but they weren't picking up on that. Yeah. This doesn't sound like great TV. No, no. I think reading the Russian sleep experiment, creepypasta would be much more entertaining. Uh, let your, yeah. let your imagination do the, uh, fill in, fill in the mad lib blanks. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of coming down to the end here. I mean, ultimately there's so many other things that we can get into with this, right? And I think there's going to be not necessarily a follow-up to this episode per se, but definitely some more that touch on sleep. You know, we were reminded of things like Edgar Casey, the sleeping pro- uh, sleeping prophet, sleeping psychic, mm-hmm. who is definitely going to be in a few episodes we have coming up on Atlantis and a few other things. Remote viewing is another uh, mm-hmm. is another aspect of. Uh, brain research that I think does kind of tie into this a little bit and just sort of like what state of the brain are people able to, yeah, able to to do these certain types of things. And actually, uh, we were watching an Unsolved Mysteries the other day 
where it was kind of like remote viewing, but while you were asleep. Yeah. There's a story about a gentleman whose friend was a Kuwaiti pilot who went down, captured by the Iraqis, and he dreamed to the to the letter, 100% accurate, the exact experience his friend had. And then when they reunited, he told them the dream, and it was exactly the same color of the sheets, same amount of time in the cell, handcuff cut, like time the handcuffs were on him, the placement of the window in the cell. He remote viewed this while he was asleep. Uh, so that Insane. definitely kind of ties into this. <laughs> so crazy. Also, well, Kate, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Just on that note, the remote viewing, I assume, because you told me this like before we obviously decided on to record this. <laughs> obviously, we communicate. Yeah, we do. <laughs> but it totally reminded me of, and I've said this to you multiple times, and I really want to hear from our listeners, anyone out here listening right now, because I have often had dreams and this has occurred over years most of my life where I'll go back to the same places sometimes they're places that I know in my life sometimes they're places that I know intimately but I know I've never been there and I go back to these same like I I call them worlds because sometimes they they apply like the same rules of reality as our life but sometimes they don't and like, but they're always consistent in who I am in there and where I am. And I always think to myself, am I remote viewing someone else's life right now? Like, am I right. in my sleep state? Am I living through someone else's eyes? Cause right. that's how I feel sometimes. And I feel as though I've lived a life in someone else's life, but, and then I wake up and then I go live my life. So strange. And so I'm like, I don't know what that is. And they're so consistent. It kind of reminds me of like an Edgar Casey. You know how he was very yeah. consistent with his worlds and when especially when we talked about Atlantis, yes. for example, and things like that. It just makes me think like, what is our brain really capable of? Are we just these like crazy batteries like Tesla, like there were these conduits through which energy flows? And say if we have the same alignments or the same whatevers, then maybe we're driving with people that are halfway around the world. That I don't know. that totally segues perfectly into sort of my ultimate question for this episode. Oh yeah, because that is that's very well put. And really, when it, we come down to it, my ultimate question is just that: like, is sleep and research on the brain, the brain's state in relation to both dreaming, like what you're just referencing now, or on the flip side, a lack of sleep and sort of maybe a hallucinogenic state, plus the addition of potential potions, if we want to go back to the the creepypasta stuff. Mm -hmm. But is all of this potentially sort of the gateway to other energies and other realities, which is basically what you're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. In the sleep state, notions of remote viewing or whatever, in in the sleep deprivation side of it, the opposite end of the spectrum, how is the brain changing and and, 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 uh, yeah, just like manipulated to the point where they can then do things they couldn't do before. And that's what they emphasize in the x-files episode they run with it and make it really fun as like a fiction Mm -hmm. because this guy can do some pretty crazy stuff but when we dial it back to maybe something more in reality these questions are still open they're 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 not answered we know very very little about the brain not answered sleep not answered by western conventions and western medicine and all that kind of thing like it reminds me of shamanism too like all those elements that you just kind of like listed off there it sounds like magic but magic is just things that we don't understand yet Totally. I mean, you guys, we want to know not only what you think of this episode or the ideas that we've, you know, put forth here on sleep, on dreaming, but like if you guys have ever had an experience where you are awake for two, three plus days. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we had somebody on our Facebook forum for the network say yeah, that they stayed awake. Yeah, they were awake for quite a while and were 
seeing some strange things. Mm-hmm. I, I do. I think Andrew Gable, um, I don't know if he's on Night Shifts anymore, but from Forgotten Darkness podcast, I think he was working Night Shifts and mentioned a while back that that led to some sort of some strange oh, sightings and things too. Like it can kind of mess you. with you a bit. Uh, so we really want to know what you guys think. And uh, do you have any final thoughts, Amber, before we sort of sign off here? I honestly, yeah, it's all fascinating to me. And I love how it's one of those things, like so much that we talk about on the show, where it, there's so much still to explain. Absolutely. And so much more to know. And it's, it's one of those things where it's like, the more we know, the more we know that we don't know anything at all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and on that note, I think... Uh, I think we should probably let uh, let you guys run wild with all this craziness we've talked about today. Go get some sleep, people. Go have yes. a nap, and then uh, and then you can report back to us. Mm-hmm. So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode, and until next time, on Into the Portal. Your gateway to the bazaar. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.